Well, very good morning to everyone. Uh, this morning, about two minutes till ten, I did as any fill-in preacher would do and glanced back at the audience that would be here. There was like seven pews empty then. There's no pews empty now, uh, so my expectations quickly uh, went away there. But I'm excited to be here nonetheless. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you are our honored guest, as was said, we welcome you. Uh, you're going to be challenged this morning. I'm, I'm not the normal preacher. I'm filling in for Josh. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, I hope we can achieve something this morning and gain some knowledge from Scripture. That is our goal while we are here to praise and honor the Lord, our Savior, and uh, to delve into Scripture to hopefully gain uh, more knowledge and apply that knowledge and gain wisdom in our lives. Now, I want to invite you to uh, follow along with me this, this morning as uh, and if you want to be grabbing your devices or your Bibles and be getting them ready there, uh, the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. For uh, for some time now, I've, I've had the book of Jonah on my mind. Uh, and actually, I was just sitting there thinking that, uh, I don't know, several months ago, I was talking to uh, Glenn and Kathy Price. It was, it was a time before I was getting ready to preach. And I said, man, I just don't know what I want to talk on. And Kathy said, I always like character studies. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, man, hey, I finally fulfilled what she requested. It was just several months later. So, you're welcome. Uh, But anyway, alongside of that, uh, I wanted to put together a lesson of application from Jonah. And and I wanted a title to the lesson that that would work with the thoughts that had been circling in my head. So, so last week, early, I had gotten home from work, and, and Tate, who had been battling strep throat, he was on a new antibiotic, which apparently had side effects similar to that of Red Bull energy drinks. Uh, he, he was running around like a wild, like a wild Indian, and he came running right at me on the couch. And this this vortex of smell followed him. My my first impression that first impression was was tuna, and uh, I said, "Well, maybe you're just eating some tuna." And I asked the kids, I said, "Did y'all get take tuna?" I looked at Daphne, I said. Did he have tuna? And she said, no, he hadn't had tuna. Now, sitting there, and the smell was just getting more and more potent, and I finally wondered about a diaper situation. And as any respectable parent would do, I, I did the diaper yank poop check uh, from his backside, and this horrific paint-peeling aroma singed the hairs of my nostrils. And I don't know what was in the medication, but I'll tell you, something smelled fishy. <laughs> And that's how you got your title this morning from Tate's Poopy Diaper. So, so you're welcome. <laughs> My mom's going to be so proud of that. So, happy, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Now, although Tate did help in the process, uh, this morning's lesson I hope to explore through the story of Jonah. And as we explore and refresh our minds of Jonah's journey, I've picked some points along the way for thought. And at the end of the lesson, I hope to uh, to discuss some things regarding the attitude of Jonah in his journey and how that relates to us. You know, for many years we've heard this expression, you know, something smells fishy. And the expression typically implies that that something uh, isn't going right, it doesn't fit, it's offsetting or, or inconsistent. And it's a fitting expression because if you've ever cleaned fish before, you know exactly what kind of offsetting smell that is. Uh, So this morning, I hope, uh, or I would ask you to join me as we examine the the fishy behavior and and attitude of Jonah, and hopefully your Bible's there ready in Jonah. We're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 to start us off with. Jonah chapter 1, 1 through 3. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. In these first few passages, we already see some interesting events take place. We have the word of the Lord coming to Jonah with this message to go to Nineveh. And I hope this map that that I've put together here or found online is going to do some justice. It's probably maybe a little blurry to those in the back. But at least from, from the viewpoint of this map from where we're at, Nineveh is kind of northeast of, of Gath, uh, Gath Heifer there, up there on the, the top right part of the map as you're looking at it. And instead of heading that direction, Jonah went the exact opposite direction, likely from uh, Gath Heifer and then toward uh, Tarshish, which would have been far west from where he was. So Nineveh's here, he went to Joppa, caught a boat, heading toward this direction. That's Pretty pretty opposite directions there. And I know we're all thinking the same thing here. Typical guy. He's just really bad with directions. No, he, he, Scripture tells us he knew right where he where it was. And, and Jonah attempted to do something that no man before and no man ever will be able to do, which is flee from the Lord. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. But, but why? Why would he blatantly disregard the Lord's direction? Obviously, there's something fishy going on here. Depending on what kind of references you use or, or, or look at, there are a few opinions of, of why Jonah uh, would have tried to flee from this situation. Now, Nineveh was, was a capital of Assyria, which is recorded both by Jonah in chapter 3 and verse 3 to be a, a great city, which is to say a large city, and by some other references to have possibly been one of the largest cities in the world at that time. Uh, we know that it was a three days journey across this city. Now, the Assyrian Empire, it was, it was known for its cruelty and, and would have been well known to Jonah as well, which leads some to assume that, that this would be the reason for Jonah turning the other direction for fear. Others uh, yet assume it's because Jonah was being a bit self-righteous or a bit of a bigot. And, and we can tie that into the latter part of Jonah and some statements made there. And that he would not want to go give these, uh, those in Nineveh the time of day. And if this be the case at this time, it still yet adds a character flaw in that he would have felt he was above God's request to go and preach to those in Nineveh. Ultimately, Jonah disobeys God either way. And we have plenty of parents in the crowd who can probably relate an instance like this with their own children. When asked to do one thing, they go and do the exact opposite or or maybe they don't do anything at all. Uh, You ever stop and think how, how aggravating that gets? And what must we do as as parents to ensure that doesn't happen again? Well, we have to discipline them, don't we? And that's exactly what the Lord is prepared to do with Jonah. Jonah 1 verse 4 now. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Oh yeah, Jonah was successful, wasn't he? He pulled a quick one on the Lord. Now, it's kind of like my old boss used to tell me, you can't sneak daylight past a rooster. I didn't really understand that until our neighbors got a rooster. Uh, but every morning I'm aware of when dawn's coming. Well, this, this storm comes, and I know we don't know what we look like, but I just got some sort of image there, especially for the children out there. 
And as we read these next few parts in Jonah, we see that the that the mariners were awake and afraid. They were hurling cargo uh, over, trying to save the ship, perhaps by lightening the load. And all the meanwhile, Jonah, what's Jonah doing? The kids in this room could answer that question. He's sleeping. If any of you are like me and you get distracted while, while reading and, and your imagination runs wild, I was reading that and I was thinking, well, I guess I kind of get that because my wife tells me I could sleep through a tornado. And I probably could. I guess I can understand how he slept through this. I don't, I don't know. But the captain comes into Jonah here and he says, arise, call out to your God. Come on, man. Don't you see what's, what's going on here? We're in danger. Verse 6 says in the ending part, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So then these sailors, they cast lots and they, they, that they could know on whose account this storm was happening. And lo and behold, the lot fell on Jonah. And they started questioning him. Keep in mind, all this while the sea is, is crashing about them. What's your job? Where are you from? What is, in, or what is your country? Of what people are you? And he answers to the glory of God, really. Look at verse 9 there. Verse 9, he says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Further into the reading, we see that the sailors begin to understand why the storm was about them. And Jonah tells them in verse 12, verse 12, now he says, He said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, I don't know why Jonah asked to be thrown into the sea uh, versus just jumping off himself. Perhaps he didn't have the willpower to do it, or perhaps there were other reasons. We don't know. But nevertheless, later the men called out to the Lord there in verse 15. They picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and immediately the storm ceased. Here's the part where something really does smell fishy. Verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 17. Jonah chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Ah, we all remember this part, don't we? Young to old. We remember that big fish and Jonah. That's where it happens. How often, though... How, have we thought about what that would truly be like? You know, before we read Jonah's description of this experience, I think for some of us, we may have been spoiled by, by old Geppetto. You remember in Pinocchio, that little scene? Yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the image I get, isn't it, to you? I see some nods, so I know you're feeling the same thing. It's not so bad, is it? He's got a raft, a stove. A table, pen and paper, a bed. This is more of a camp out than anything. You think that's what Jonah was going through? Absolutely not. Jonah's experience was such that, that he, was in, he was in distress. He was in distress and he called out to the Lord in the belly of a fish for three days. We can't imagine it because, well, we haven't been there. We had a discussion about this a few weeks ago among some friends here. And we talked about all the physical things that would, that would have gone on. And of course, there would be the overlying factor of the, the miraculous part of this story. But can you imagine being in that darkness, the, the unknown, what it, would, what it would feel like? Uh, could you move at all? What about food and water? And of course, what about that smell? It's got to smell bad in there. What the Lord did here caused a change in Jonah's heart in this moment. And after all, he, he remembered the Lord, remembered his place in service to the Lord. 
And he knew that only the Lord could save him from this moment. And Jonah's attitude changed pretty hard pretty quickly. It's a shame that it took such a drastic measure to do so. And so Jonah prays. And at the end of chapter 2, we see that the God commands the great fish to vomit Jonah out on land. Which, given the options of how to exit the fish, I reckon that's the best option. I don't know. So we're going to be moving on through through some of this story pretty quickly over the next few moments, so bear with me. So having been in the belly of the fish three days, and having been vomited up, Jonah receives again the command of the Lord. Let's look now in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Then the, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So Jonah is now fulfilling God's command. And for the time, at least, he has seemingly swallowed his pride or has gotten over whatever misdirected him. And he's proclaiming to these people who he didn't seem to care for before. We're not told the manner in which Jonah proclaimed the message, and it doesn't necessarily matter how he proclaimed it. But I like to imagine that Jonah, having just not too long ago been living in the belly of a fish, is doing some sort of justice with this message. In reality, I'm kind of hesitant to fully conclude that Jonah's hopes and intents are where they should be. For now, though, let's see what this message does for the people in Nineveh. Look now in verses 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. A fantastic change of heart. The message that Jonah gave must have been effective in some way because it pierced these people to want to change. And a wonderful study can be drawn from the effectiveness of, of God's word and pending wrath on those who do not turn from error. But they turned so much so that the king even makes a command of the people to observe certain things in order that they may hopefully turn God's wrath away from them. And it works. It works. Let's look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of that disaster and he said he would do to them uh, that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. You know, at this point, you would suppose the person who had traveled to this place, this, this horrible place, and put themselves out there and has done this, this speaking would be ecstatic at the turn of events. I mean, come on, what more could you ask for? Those who were lost are now found because, because of your proclamation. But not Jonah. This is why I say something's most fishy about this guy. Let's read on into chapter 4 now. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What kind of attitude is this? Let's put an example out there. Parents, I'm going to be picking on you a little bit today, mainly because I know I'm not alone in this venture. Let's say you've asked your kids to do something. We'll say you've asked them to pick up their room. You know, fold the clothes, put them away, make the bed, pick up the toys, that kind of stuff. You assign the task and you go on your merry way to finish whatever you were working on, whatever you needed to do. You come back to check on them and it seems as if they've gotten distracted. Because we all know that cleaning your room consists of 15% actually cleaning and 85% playing with the toys that you just found. And so, you take a deep breath, and you calmly and collectively give them a second chance, since I know that's what we all would do, right? Bear with me here, we did call this an example. And so you've now given them this second chance, and you leave for a time, then you come back, and the room is spotless. It's immaculate. What's your reaction? Some of you are sitting there thinking, well, my first reaction is to ask them why they didn't do that in the first place. And right you are, I give you that. But reality is, we would likely be happy that correction took place. But Jonah, Jonah's outraged by God's turning his wrath away from Nineveh. And now uses this against God to say there in in verse 2 of chapter 4, See, this is why I fled from you. I knew what kind of God you were, and I knew you would turn your anger from these people. It sounds to me like Jonah wanted to pass judgment on the Ninevites. He wanted them to be destroyed. He was angry at this outcome and with the Lord. It's interesting, though, the Lord's reply. Do you do well to be angry? I think that's going to be my new immediate reply when things go bad with employees or customers. Do you do well to be angry? Let's rephrase the statement. Let's say, why are you angry? What reason do you have to react this way? And so it is almost like we are back to square one with Jonah in this this wishy-washy attitude as it becomes more and more apparent that his heart is yet again and not in the right place. And just like with the great fish, the Lord prepares yet another lesson for Jonah to learn. Let's read on, verses 5 through 9 now. Verses 5 through 9. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he uh, should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the, ro- when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. All over a plant. Now, you know, although we don't know Jonah's age, it'd be interesting to go around the room and see what everyone's guess would be. Because I know some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I've seen some worse fits thrown over than, than over a plant. But come on, friends, we're talking about a prophet. 
one who had specific and one-on-one direction from the Lord. It's kind of pathetic, isn't it? Such a small thing the Lord used here to teach Jonah such a great lesson. And Jonah believed he had a right to be angry at this plant that withered and died even though he did nothing to deserve it. How much more valuable then are these people, then the Lord asked, ones who are lost, who do not know their right from their left. Jonah should have rejoiced that these people accepted that they needed a change. How great would it be if we had the same effect on a city of people? Can you imagine? And there's so many applications now, having walked through the story of Jonah in in brevity, and sadly, there are many parallels to us today in regards to his attitude. So for the next few moments, let's stop and think. How often, how often do we avoid the Lord? How often do we flee? How often has our attitude been just like Jonah, where we try to run away from something, whether it be of pride, that we are above doing something for someone else, or whether it be to fear? Let's remind ourselves of a couple passages. Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. How often have we become narrow-minded, closing off our, our potential influence on others, or unwilling to accept responsibility in our service to God, in our service to others, unwilling to accept that they can have the same opportunity as us. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the, gospel of, uh, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It is available to all. We should not withhold that knowledge or that proclamation. How often do we put ourselves in the seat of a judge when we, do, when we try to decide whether or not that person will even receive the word of God well? Matthew 7, 1 reminds us, judge not that you be not judged. And how often do we proclaim, teach, and preach to be one way, but within ourselves is conflict with peace and contrast to the attitude of a Christian? Titus 1, 6. Sorry, Titus 1, 6. They claim to know God, but their actions But by their actions, they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Our actions speak very loudly. And how often does our attitude, regardless of of a good or bad outcome for others, only allow to reflect upon how I feel or what I get out of the deal? What about me and what affects me? Philippians 2, 3-4 through 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. These kinds of attitudes... Some errors there. These kinds of attitudes are not only reflected or reflective of Jonah. These kinds of attitudes are a reflection of us in our lives as imperfect human beings. 
lives that are continually at battle with sin. Lives that are uh, continually at battle with the devil. And the devil uses all the things he can against us in an attempt to make us the very things that would deceive us to have poor attitudes. And if we find similarity in his attitude and that of our own, then we too might be smelling a little bit fishy. We go about and we walk about in our lives, and oftentimes we say that I'm going to do this, I'm going to live this way in accordance with Scripture, in accordance to how God would want me to live. We're great at proclaiming those things, but as we go out into the world, as we go out to meet others, all of a sudden something changes. There's some inconsistency there. We are guilty of doing this from time to time. So can our attitudes be changed? Can we look at some of the grander things that Jonah was able to accomplish through God's word? Can we take away from that what would benefit us in our service to him? Brothers and sisters, we are very blessed this morning to be here with each other. I don't know how often we remind ourselves of that, but we need to as often as we can. Because there is a, there's a great uh, deal of aid, encouragement, and help that lies even within these very four walls. And so, if we have uh, lived by some of these attitudes that Jonah has shown us in, in, in the book of Jonah, then perhaps we need to change those things. Perhaps we might need the prayers and encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, as often as we can, we offer that opportunity. And this very morning, we have an opportunity such as that. If you have lived in such a way as that, and you need the prayers and encouragement, anything from your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll have a moment where we stand and sing, and you can do so. And if you're not a Christian, do you continue to try to flee from the Lord? You see now that it is not possible to do it. He's always there. He's always watching and waiting, being patient and merciful. How much longer will you make your Father wait for you to obey? If you have a need, let it be known as we stand and sing this song of invitation.